Welcome to Hello, Is This Thing On? with April and Jason. Well, we're back. Ah, feels good to have that first podcast under our belt. It How's, does. How, how do you feel? I feel splendiferous. Ooh. Thank you very Pulling much. Pulling out the big words at the top of the show. Well, you know. Wow. You know, start we, strong, end strong. We set the bar high around here. <laughs> well, we try. So how are you today, Jason? I'm feeling good. Good. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm in the middle of a three-day weekend. That's right. So that's uh-huh. so, so it's Sunday, but gotcha. I've got tomorrow off. But it's not Sunday. Aha. So enjoying that, enjoying time with family, yeah. resting time, and working on this podcast, which isn't work, really. It's a lot of fun. It's from the heart. It's really a... It's meaningful. And it's relevant. And fun. Da, da, da. Meaningful and relevant. I want that on my epitaph. Thank you. On your, like your gravestone. Yes, yeah. on my gravestone. I know that's mm-hmm. kind of, you know. That's morbid. Rather macabre, but <laughs> I like to talk about those things. From April bringing us down, <laughs> lowering the vibe. I haven't been on for two minutes. So I'm always wow. already what? lowering the bar. It went dark. <laughs> Anywho, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm recovering from what can only be described as a canker sore the size of Mount Shasta on uh, the side of my tongue. It is the worst. It is the worst. And y- as of yesterday, I was thinking people were going to assume I was trying to do my best uh, impression of the little boy from the music man and the wealth Fargo wagon because I would I would lisp and I'm not making fun of anybody who lisps because I know that is an actual speech you know impediment and you know that you work with but uh and <laughs> shock attack <laughs> So (laughs) anyway, but I'm feeling better. Good. And I know it it feels like when you have those things, it feels like they are going to last forever. Well, especially when you are being autistic, your sensories are heightened anyway. And so when you have like a hangnail or, you know, like a scrape, you know, something that might seem minor to somebody, people who are autistic, especially to others who are not, it may seem like they're whining incessantly about something, right. but it is truly bothersome. Mm, right. and, like upsetting, emotionally oh, upsetting. It, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I deal with that as well. So yes. I think anyone with extra sensitive sensory issues, mm-hmm. whatever the sense is, yes. every time there's some issue with that, that's one thing they have to work around. Yes. So you spend all your energy working around that, and then that's that's a whole podcast it takes right there. up a lot of mental energy, darling. Yes. Oh, yes. It's just awful. A lot of bandwidth. So we did want to thank those that tuned in to yes, our first show. got a lot of positive feedback. We did, and we thank you all for listening, and please let your friends know it's, uh, hello, is this thing on? The po- then, All the podcasting platforms. All the podcasting platforms. So please yeah. please tell tell your friends, share it with the ones that you love. But our first show was What is Neurodiversity Part 1, and we talked a little bit about the history of autism and shared our own personal history. Right. Yeah, and yeah, so today we will be discussing the history of ADHD, our big segment. Our top story for today. (laughs) This just in. This just in. (laughs) The whole reason for this show was to celebrate and to find a community for individuals late in life diagnosed. And for me, I always think, you know, Generation X, because that's Mm. our generation. Yeah. But you were talking, you know, 40 and up, you know, 45 and up. Right. The main reason we're having that conversation is so just that what we say when we talk to you all is accurate and clear. And so we're we're all pointing in the same direction. But I was thinking late in life, 20 and up. Right. You're kind of out of what's considered childhood. True. Right. So people can't just, oh, is this a childhood thing? So as soon as you're like an established adult, let's say, then that's kind of in my mind. 
that's what I... Right. And I guess that makes sense because really the diagnosing and identification in children is by no means perfect Mm-mm. at this point, but it is much easier yes. than anyone over 20. Right. That does make sense. People that can fall through the cracks there. And I think by the time you're 20, I think you've adapted yeah. to it. But I also wanted to say that when we talk about a diagnosis, the diagnosis should probably come from a doctor or a psychologist. However, we did want to kind of point out that there is something called being self-identified. I know for myself, that's kind of how I began. I kind of self-identified and then realized that I really wanted the diagnosis personally because it because it meant something to me. But there's this great group on Facebook and it's called Autism Late Diagnosis, Self-Identification, Support and Education. And once I did, I realized it was from a gentleman named Kieran Rose, and he's called the Autistic Advocate. He is an autistic person, and he does a lot of teaching to others who are autistic or are parents of children. And it's really interesting, and I love this quote from him. He says, much of what you read here you may find challenging, and I hope so, because without being challenged, we never learn or grow. Yep. 100%. 100%. I love that. That's fantastic. I love that. You were even saying, Jason, how it's important to let you know our listeners know that you know being a self-identified and or being diagnosed is a choice. Right. And it's a choice. And some people don't want to identify that way for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Some people feel like they need that professional official diagnosis, again, for a variety of reasons, personal and otherwise. Right. I think it is more accurate to, instead of saying self-diagnosed self-identified. You can read things. I know I've done it and I know you've done it where you look on a website or mm-hmm. on a f- Facebook page like yeah. that and it's ticking all the boxes mm-hmm. and it feels very familiar what's being yes. talked about. And so I think that's 100% valid yes. to identify that way because it helps. And this is why we do the show yes. is to help validate those who have not been or who suspect that they are ADHD or they are autistic. They are under this neurodiverse umbrella. Under that umbrella. Right. Yeah. And so this is for all of you who might be going, hmm, I wonder. So, you know, we're here with you. We hear you and we want this conversation to continue. So there's an innate need to be validated Mm -hmm. as human beings. Yes. To say, yes, I matter. I'm valuable. This is why. Well, Jason, you matter to me. You matter to me too. But what matters more is that we need to take a break. Oh, yeah. So when we come back, we'll talk more about the history of ADHD and how it relates to neurodiversity. You're listening to Hello, Is This Thing On? with April and Jason. Be right back. Welcome back to Hello, Is This Thing On? I'm April, here with my co-host, Jason. Hi. So in our last podcast, we defined neurodiversity and began a conversation on the history of autism. So in this episode, Jason is going to take us through the timeline for ADHD. Were you surprised at some of your findings? Yes and no. I wasn't surprised in the fact that the symptoms for ADHD are normally thought of as obvious, right? They're behavioral. You can observe them. Someone's hyperactive they're hitting things or running around or whatever, whatever the stereotype is. And then inattentiveness. It's like, you know, you the stereotype of the absent-minded professor. So anyway, so yes and no. It's, some of the things I found were interesting. And what was most interesting is how long ago people started identifying these symptoms. So mm-hmm. that's all I'm going to say with no spoilers. 
According to this article written by Jose Martinez Badia and Jose Martinez Raga from the World Journal of Psychiatry, the article's called Who Says This is a Modern Disorder? The Early History of Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Mm, a little light uh, reading, I see. Right. <laughs> light reading, yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, no, just kidding. It's interesting. There's interesting nuggets in there. It's, I uh, highlighted the interesting bits. Okay. So according to this, the first clinical description of a, what's called a constellation or a cluster of symptoms mm-hmm. was George F. Still as far back as 1902. Oh, okay. Right. So it's possible, according to this article, to find clues and, you know, highly suggestive descriptions of individuals presenting symptoms resembling what we know to be ADHD or ADD. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, in art and literature, there are clues of individuals presenting symptoms resembling, like I said, what is currently defined as ADHD. There are reports that possibly Oliver Cromwell, Mozart, oh. Lord Byron could have all had ADHD. See, I've often thought that Mozart might have been oh my gosh. autistic. Right. That's interesting. Right. Maybe uh, he was both. There's, he might, might have been both, <laughs> and there's still maybe a lot we don't understand about, the, about neurodiversity. Right. Um, so it was hype. And also, so it gets biblical. So this surprised me. Oh, I didn't okay. want to give that away. That's, that's oh. kind of a cool thing. Wow. It's to hypothesize that St. Peter, the apostle, due to descriptions of his disruptive behavior, was possibly ADHD. So if anyone recalls, I don't knows, remember Sunday school, uh, <laughs> at one point, uh, Peter had cut off the ear of a like a Roman centurion. Oh. Uh, he was defending Jesus, right? And he whipped out his sword and lopped off his ear. That's impulsivity. I was going to say that's like that's a very impulsive thing to do. It's also you know a lack wow. of emotional regulation, right? Right. right. And of course, Jesus you know chastises right. him, and it's like okay, right. you're a bit interesting. extra. Oh wow! <laughs> so isn't that interesting? So blows your mind. Even further back, Old Testament, there is a passage in the book of Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Advising parents, this is going to be harsh, but it's the Old Testament after all. Advise parents troubled by a stubborn and unruly son to denounce him to the city fathers so he might be stoned. (gasps) Oh. Right. Yeah, that's harsh. That is very harsh. But that's a very Old Testament. Old Testament. Found that interesting. Skipping ahead to Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. there was a quote unquote malady of attention in the play King Henry VIII. And it, he was speaking about adult individuals. Now, I will say that all of this is sort of circumstantial. It's right. all reading into with the best information, whatever. And, you know, he could have been talking about someone that has gone through trauma. Like what we know now about trauma, it affects mm-hmm. the same things, a lot of neurodivergent under that umbrella. But I just found that interesting. There is a painting going into art called The Village School by a Dutch painter named Jan Steen. It depicted a schoolhouse mm-hmm. and kids playing outside, doing wildly different things, climbing on mm-hmm. things, right? And so the, a lot of people looking back thought that maybe that was depicting ADHD. Now, you could just say, well, maybe these are just kids playing, right. whatever. But he also put out another version of that same painting called, with the same title called The Village School, where all the kids were sitting properly and behaving impeccably. <laughs> and so a lot of people have read into that. Maybe that was a depiction in fine art. ADHD symptoms in children. Interesting. And so I know I'm bouncing around time-wise, so bear with me. Well, that's your ADHD brain. There you so go. That's okay. Hippocrates. So everybody's mm-hmm. familiar with the Hippocratic Oath. Yes. Father of modern medicine, mm-hmm. etc. Said it was due to an overbalance of fire over water. 
So this was back when you talk about the humors. So it was thought, believed that different humors regulated different sorts of emotional states. Okay. Like you were, you had too much of this and not enough of this. And so he prescribed water and a bland diet, barley rather than wheat. So with what we know about gluten, maybe he was onto something. That's interesting. With that. I don't know how much gluten is in each. I'm not a right. nutritionist, but fish over meat. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he thought that would be good. Well, maybe uh, it's, you know, fish is healthier. Basically the first doctor. So, mm-hmm. you know, and physical activities, mm-hmm. which now we know that, yes, you know, that physical activity regulates everything yes. and, and balances everything. So you asked earlier if I was surprised by it. And so a lot of this, I guess I was. That's really interesting. So, I mean, Shakespeare for crying out loud. So going back to Hippocrates really quick, he described the symptoms mm-hmm. of what he was observing as quickened responses to sensory experience, mm-hmm. but also less tenaciousness because the soul moves on quickly to the next impression. Oh. It's like, oh, there's this, and there's this, and there's this, and there's this. I notice everything. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I liked how he described that. Right. So, yeah, I thought that was really, really interesting. We know that with ADHD, ADHD and ADD was more prevalent. People think of it as kids, hyperactive kids, misbehaving kids. So, again, it was seen as a behavior problem. So there was Dr. Weichard. He was a German physician. He studied physics, philosophy, and medicine. He of course, began his practice as a physician. Mm -hmm. So between 1773, so before the founding of our country, uh, in 1775, Dr. Uh, Weichard, you know, he broke with prevailing opinions suggesting that disorders of emotion and behavior arose from medical and physiological causes, not from, get this, astrological or some other scientific outdated medieval hypotheses (laughs) such as witchcraft we know more now than they did then it's not witches on brooms flying around astrology you know and if that's something you believe then this is in no way meant to offend but you know got put it in context at the time that was the popular prevailing opinion well and if you think about you know the time 1773 you know you've had the salem witch trial and that was in the you know late 1600s and (laughs) right a lot of superstition Don't bring up the witches. Oh my gosh. That's- so basically, these were people trying to explain what was happening with mostly with the available information that they had at their disposal. Exactly. So, I mean, I guess that's another way of saying they didn't know any better. Show them some grace. <laughs> they, were, they were trying their hardest, darn it. He also included adults. He described adults and children uh, suffering from lack of attention as being easily distractible by anything, even by his or her own imagination. And then it goes on to say that he indicated that inattentive individuals, quote, will be shallow everywhere, unquote, and, quote, are mostly reckless, imprudent, and most inconstant in execution. How many projects do many of us with ADHD start (laughs) and never finish? Or books we start and never get around to reading. We have bookmarkers in like 10 books. Mm -hmm. I'm reading all of them. Okay, (laughs) right, you are. You'll finish those too. So Dr. Weichardt has speculated that these behaviors were caused by either, and this is may have been where this all started, a general lack of discipline Mm -hmm. and stimulation, poor upbringing, so blaming the parents. Kind of like the autism with with the refrigerator mother. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right. And a behavior problem. Mm-hmm. It must yes. be the way they're raised. Yeah, they're know. eating too much sugar. Mm-hmm. They're doing this, that, or the other. And he also noted, though I'm taking this with a grain of salt and you'll know why, he also <laughs> noted that women were more inattentive than men. 
I'm sorry, I didn't mean sorry. <laughs> right. Well, at first I like, oh, okay, well, he was one of the first to include women. But then I thought, oh, but why is he including women in the 18th century? Oh, okay. Because they are simple folk. They're see. simple. They're distractible, oh. you know. Oh, oh my. <laughs> so there were, there were a variety of doctors around that time that were starting to come out with theories about what caused this behavior. Chew on that one. What do you okay. think that means? Oh. <laughs> so um, so he, he, the way he described the disorder was um, behavior with abnormal degrees of inattention and distractibility and the incapacity to attend with a necessary degree of constancy to any object. And that was associated with unusual levels of impulsivity, restlessness, and emotional reactivity. Which, if you look in the diagnostic manual, mm -hmm. the DSM, it a lot. It's like almost like exactly word for word the way it's written. So that was as close oh. to how we know it today. Right. So, so in the in the according to this article, it is certain that in the history of ADHD and ADHD-like behaviors, it has to be viewed with a broader context. So you don't. You, we're not just talking about medical descriptions, but also how children you know the concept of children mm -hmm. and education and those kind of things throughout right. history because at one time children were thought to just be miniature adults so they didn't understand brain development they didn't understand those things so dr george still uh, in 1901 he described some of these symptoms as a defect of moral control so That's again terrible. he can only observe what he sees and he it's can't al always a deficit yeah it's a it's defect. Not, it's a defect. Right. Because it was unusual, I guess. Right. Or, and so that stigma sort of hung around. It's mm -hmm. still prevalent. I, I have come across people that just have flat out said, ADHD isn't real. I have as well. I think in my head, it is real. Right. <laughs> Very much. So. And even by people who are authority. So all the way back in 1937, I thought this was an interesting fact. Dr. Charles Bradley discovered that benzedrine, which is an amphetamine, improved the behavior of children diagnosed with behavioral disorders. So right from the shoot, ADHD was a behavioral disorder because that's what they saw. It was obvious. So these are children that are hyperactive. You know, the presentation. In their mm -hmm. presentation. Mm -hmm. they're, and they're going to give them amphetamines? Right. Right. So if you put, so if you think about it at the time, it doesn't make sense because no. they didn't know that stimulants have the opposite effect on oh. ADHD oh, brains, right. but they wouldn't have known that. So that's it's it, in a way that didn't make sense because it's like, okay, these are hyperactive that's kids. Right. Let's that's pump right. them full of amphetamines. Well, that's right. And that makes sense. I have had friends yes. who I knew to have ADHD yes. that would drink a cup of coffee and just pass out that's like, right. like that's they right. just drank a sedative. Just yeah. like, what? Okay, okay, so that makes sense now in my mind. But, but in 1937, was, right, but they wouldn't have that known seems that weird. It, it does seem strange. That they would do that, so you're not, you're not wrong on that okay. sense if you're looking at hyperactive children. Yes. Hyperkinetic is a good way to describe that. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until the 1980s that the term attention deficit disorder came into widespread use. So that came out in the American Psychiatric Association's DSM manual. Mm -hmm. And in the ensuing decades, several changes were made to the criteria, and the term ADD was replaced with ADHD, mm -hmm. so as not to overemphasize either an inattention or hyperactivity when diagnosing. According to Stephen Farone, PhD from SUNY Upstate Medical University in New York, that's where I'm getting this wonderful information from, 
He said, so if you think that ADHD is an invention of contemporary society, think again. It has been with us for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And so based on what I've shared with you today, all the way back to Hippocrates, the Greeks. And wow. you know, I don't want to go down the pharmaceutical rabbit hole just yet, but I came across on this timeline that in the 1980s, methylphenidate was indicated for behavioral disorders in children. And, and for those of you who, who can't see, Jason did little air quotes around behavioral. I was hoping they'd feel it <laughs> over the, over the over interwebs. The, the interwebs. <laughs> but so that methylphenidate, guess what that is? What is that? 1960s. Well, not mm-hmm. the 80s, the 60s. Ritalin. What? In the 60s? That was Ritalin that it was oh, indicated. Wow. For so they didn't they didn't get off of that amphetamine no, they didn't. stimulant track. So in, and it wasn't until the 90s that ADHD in adults was recognized, in adults, was recognized as a valid disorder. 1990s. 1990s. I think it was like maybe early. And this is, uh, this I found interesting too. So around that same time in the 90s, the comorbidity Mm -hmm. with anxiety, mood, or autism spectrum disorders and executive dysfunction was confirmed. Mm. So this is where we first start seeing the relationship between things like autism mm-hmm. and anxiety right. uh, that was connected to ADD, ADHD. Was depression a component of that as well? Um, according to this, it's they didn't list that here, mm-hmm. but I do know that that can occur, especially mm-hmm. if it goes undiagnosed, right. because it comes with a lot of people don't know why their brains are doing this. They don't know why I can't get focused. I can't pick up after myself. Mm-hmm. I can't complete tasks at work. And that can affect your emotional health, mm, you, know, you know, with anxiety, a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. with ADHD and depression even, mm-hmm. because you just get to a point where you're like, well, I guess I'm just a failure then without knowing why, you know, without knowing that your brain is just wired differently than most people. So yeah. And, and oh, go ahead. If, if I may, that's what I think that's one of the things that really bothers me is that they say, well, these children that are diagnosed or these children that go undiagnosed, they eventually become adults. ADHD and autism and those things, they don't just go away. You know, these individuals grow up to be adults right. working to make a place in this world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's right. interesting. And I think early on when they started talking about, oh, it, it goes away, what they were witnessing was masking. What they were witnessing were little tricks and little things to make it appear like people thought like everyone else. Now, I don't think we've officially given a definition for masking, but masking is when you as a neurodivergent, whether you're ADHD or you are autistic or dyslexic, you work to appear neurotypical in whatever facet that that is, whether it's how you're acting and your tone of voice, you're trying to fit in. Right. And they found that it can be very debilitating emotionally and physically. It can take a toll on your on your physical health as well. Which makes sense because you're denying your authentic self. Yes. You're denying yes. Y- who you really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not healthy. No, it's And that's not. going to take a toll eventually. So given all the interesting history and the interesting timeline, I wanted to sort of finish with maybe a new way to think of ADHD. Mm-hmm. You know, most people, they want to do the things they're interested in. Well, a- people with ADHD, it's more difficult. Right. So Edward Hollowell, MD, and John Rady, MD, who co-wrote the book Driven to Distraction, which came out in 1994. Mm-hmm. It was a very, very popular book. They came up with a more accurate, maybe label instead of a deficit disorder 
what might be more accurate is variable attention stimulus trait. It basically is an abundance of attention. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, what do I do with it? How do, where do I put it? Right. And what it does is that terminology, it sort of demedicalizes and focuses on the benefit of having a, an ADHD brain. You know, you could think of multiple things at the same time. You, you have the ability to deep dive and to really hyper-focus and go into something and think of it in ways and look at things in ways that no one else will look at it. And the same is true for anyone under the neurodiversity umbrella. Well, that's true because you and I have talked about how some of the traits of autism and ADHD, there's some overlap. Right. And there's times when you and I feel like that's when we connect the most is that our brains are in sync because they're you know, doing those exact things. But then there's times when your ADHD doesn't mix with my mm, autism. Yeah. I'm an Apple computer and you're a Microsoft and our our operating systems. They just don't work. No. not They don't play nicely with <laughs> each other. It doesn't happen all the time. But no. occasionally we're like, uh, we'll have this conversation. And then we're in an argument. Well, I don't know. Why are you upset? I don't know. I think we're saying the same thing. I think we are too. I love you. I love you too. Okay. I'm going to go over here. Okay. Bye. You know, it's kind I'm of hungry. Work. Yeah. <laughs> they just kind of don't. So, so case in point, so just as an example, autistic people have been found to find comfort in repetition. Yes. Um, (laughs) People with ADHD typically crave novelty. Yes. Right? I mean, just think about what that means. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's nothing new about repetition and repetition, repetition, same foods, same sounds, same. Not everyone's the same, but I know from my experience, it runs counter to what's comfortable for me. I'll put it that way. Right. And sometimes we run into that. Yes, we do. Right. Like, well, well, just, you know, about you know, 30 minutes ago when we were warming up, I kept saying, testing, one, two, three. And I, would, I did like four tests. And so by the fourth one, we have it recorded too. Maybe that should be bonus content. <laughs> but it's like you hear me saying, testing, one, two, three, and you hear Jason. Oh. <laughs> so yeah. I think I have brand new grooves in my brain. <laughs> testing, testing, testing. Well, testing. you're welcome, darling. That's all I'm saying. It's just, and we and you notice we're laughing about exactly. it. Exactly. So there you go. It's it's nice to notice it now. It's nice to notice it and understand why that's happening. Whereas in the past, when we were younger, you know, it'd be kind of confusing, and we we'd get upset and have this little spat. Mm. But then it was over. But now, you know, the older we get, I think it was necessary to make those discoveries about ourselves because I know mm-hmm. as a married couple, it has definitely helped. Our relationship as a whole right not just as friends but as husband and wife so 100 percent, yeah and and that's a topic that we will tackle <laughs> in, a, in a separate episode exactly. you know you know yes. um, neurodiversity in relationships that's a whole nother ball of wax though. right Woo. right and you know family that's relationships you know yeah. romantic relationships mm-hmm. etc so all right well this has been great information thank you jason that yeah. was a font of information ah. so let's take a break And when we come back, Jason and I will debut a new segment called Did You Know? Mm. You're listening to Hello, Is This Thing On with April and Jason. Welcome back to Hello, Is This Thing On? I'm April, here with my co-host, Jason. We'd like to introduce a new segment on our show called, Did You Know? Did you know, April? What? Did you know that Australia is wider than the moon? 
Really? Yeah, the moon sits at 3,400 kilometers, about 2,100 miles in diameter. And while Australia's diameter from east to west is almost 4,000 kilometers. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't either. So there you go. There's a fact you didn't know before. So before we go on, we should probably preface and say, the reason we like to do this type of segment is because being neurodivergent, our brains really latch on to information, facts, mm-hmm. fun fact. Right. We're all about that. So from time to time, we will share with each other and we call it, I know I've said like it's a love language to you because <laughs> I like to share reels and yeah. I like to share jokes and ideas and things that I find because I find them interesting. So we thought we would share with you and see if you knew some of the things that we knew. So thank you for sharing that, Jason. That was amazing. Yeah. I loved it. Did not know that. Well, Jason. Yes, April. Did you know that what state was the last one to declare Christmas as a national holiday? I don't know. This surprised me. The last state to declare, according to my research, as a national holiday was Oklahoma. It was Oklahoma. Wow. In 1907. Now, to be fair, I found two different dates. And okay. that's why I did a little more digging. I thought, wait a minute. Mm. I want to make sure this is this is legit. But according to the two sources that I found, it said 1907. Another site, it wasn't a credible site, I would say, but somebody else had mentioned like 1896. But 1907 was the date that I found. Okay. Okay. And do you know what state was the first one? No. Alabama. What? In 1836. Really? Yeah. I would have thought it would have been the older, the states who had, that had been established. You never know. Since the colonies. Wow. Now I know Thanksgiving was more important in the New England colonies. Well, that's so, true. So that's true. That, but that's interesting. Interesting. Well, thanks yeah. for sharing that. You're very welcome. Mm-hmm. April. Yes, Jason. Did you know, and this is a topical one for what we're doing right now. Okay. Did you know that headphones <gasps> can increase the bacteria in your ears? Why did I need to know that? Maybe you didn't. You know how I feel about Maybe germs. Maybe this was a mistake. <laughs> Hold on, you didn't hear that. Uh, I, I'm a little, I'm a little verklempt now. I think <laughs> I'm going to have a moment. Okay, well that's interesting to know because now I'll be swabbing <laughs> out all of our headphones whenever we use them. Okay, yeah. interesting. We're Good fine. Fact. How many times have we done this though, honestly? And how long did you DJ? And not know that, and well, you were fine. And that's true. That's and you, true. everything was fine. And that's true. So I could ask the audience, did you know? Yes, I was a DJ at KSPI Radio in Stillwater, Oklahoma in the mid-90s. Yeah. And I did a lot of that. And, oh, I can only imagine, you know, because that was back when I didn't smoke, but others in the building could smoke. And, you know, the microphone smelled like smoke. It was so gross. Right. I think about that now, and I just go, Oh, People smoked God. everywhere. Anyway, that's oh, a whole other. But that was another time, another yes. another place almost. Well, <coughs> well, <laughs> well, Jason, did you know? Mm-hmm. Now this one, I went on a deep dive. So buckle in. Are you, are you ready? Oh, I think maybe. Okay. Well, did you know that there is a recent study, and I say recent, on autism that supports social interaction among autistic individuals? No. Yeah. It's a study that was conducted in 2020. It's a scientific paper that was released, and the title of it is Autistic Peer-to-Peer Information Transfer is Highly Effective. Hmm. Now, the reason I I found this and what intrigued me about the article was this reel that I saw from, it's called Hickey App on Instagram. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and we'll discuss Hickey App in just a bit, but that's another autistic wormhole that I discovered, but... 
there it was. So the question was, in this study, would autistic individuals be more likely to socialize with other autistics or neurotypical individuals? Mm. Okay. okay. So scientists used three groups. Then one group had um, all autistic individuals. Okay. One group had neurotypical individuals. And the third group had a mix of autistic individuals and neurotypical individuals. Mm -hmm. The study also mentions there's these two types of languages. There's body language, which consists of movement and gestures as communication. Right. Okay. And then pragmatic language, which is the social use of language. So those are the two types that they were looking at. Okay. So they also defined uh, two types of conversation in, in their study. And the first one that they uh, talked about was social-based conversation. Hmm. Okay, so social-based conversation would be something like if a neurotypical would, it's, it's what a neurotypical would do for social connection. You know, that they might walk up to you, stick out their hand and say, hello, how are you? Hmm. Or, wow, crazy weather we're having today. <laughs> or, I can't believe it's Monday already. Yeah, small talk. Yeah, painful. Painful <laughs> for many who are neurodiverse, especially those who are autistic. I am one of them. Then you have what's called object-based conversation. See if this sounds familiar. Hmm. Autistic individuals use this as a way to connect socially. You can walk up to another person who is autistic. I notice you have a Lord of the Rings t-shirt. I have five cats and they're all named after hobbits. And then you start this in-depth conversation about Lord of the Rings and, and the cats that they have and all the animals that they've rescued in their life. And it just becomes, then you're like best friends, right? Right. Okay. Or, you know, if it was me when I was younger, you could have asked me how many number one hits the Beatles had. Right? Right. I was obsessed with yeah, the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I obsessed that. with the mm -hmm. Beatles. Or uh, what was the name of the, their landlord in Hamburg, Germany? You could no have clue. asked me. Yeah, I could. I would have needed to ask you. Well, I don't, I don't think I would know now because <laughs> I've slept since then. But I knew it at the time. And now today I was thinking it would probably be something like, um, did you know where Lin-Manuel Miranda was when he wrote My Shot? Or how many <laughs> days it took him to write it? Or if somebody starts singing something from Hamilton, I'd be like, uh -huh. oh, my my new best friend and that that would be a way to get you know open up a conversation with me right you know or anything teacher e te teacher based mm -hmm. meaningful and relevant oh i could go on all day you right. know i digress so anyway so back to the study so the results of the study here's what here are the results it showed that when people were in the mixed groups get this they had a harder time communicating than those in the all autistic groups or the all neurotypical groups. Mm. Does that surprise you? No. No, didn't surprise me either. <laughs> that makes sense. But, so now what does this mean? Here's where my jaw dropped. Mm. So the study shows that autistic people are not socially deficient, but they have 100% of the responsibility for assimilating in a neurotypical world. They're not socially you know, deficient. No. Now in a neurotypical world, yes, they are. And autistic individuals have all of the responsibility of fitting in wow. to a neurotypical world. Right. And so here we have all of these neurotypical clinicians and all these doctors saying that autistic individuals are deficient when it's furthest from the truth. Yes. And according to the DSM. Yes. Oh, I'm getting there, but go on. Right. Okay. No, go <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just saying, baby, the data don't lie. No. Okay. So here is my DSM question to you, sir. Mm. Are you ready? Mm, I don't know. And this question comes directly. I'm quoting the young lady. She did this wonderful reel on the, on the Hickey app. So I'm going to quote her. She said, 
Since autism is clinically defined as a social communication disorder, will that change the diagnostic criteria? It should. It should. Because one of the, I guess, markers or pillars mm -hmm. in the DSM yes. of autism spectrum disorder, as labeled in the DSM, is communication deficiency. Yes. So one of the things that they do with kids in school is they teach them a neurotypical social interaction. Mm -hmm. This person says this, then you say this, and right. da, 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 When that's not the problem at all. It's not. It's not a problem. It's, it's a different way that they communicate. It's a different way that they receive, process, and give out information. Yeah. That's it. And because it doesn't line up with, I don't know, I'll say a majority of... It is. Autistic individuals are the minority. Right. So you were saying I'm... No, I was just... Sorry. No, you're fine. So that should change the diagnostic criteria right. since that's right. one of the main sort of foundations of the diagnosis. Right. So it should change. I hope it does change. Because didn't the woman say that people sort of flew under the radar because they saw the, he the, the headline of it and then went, oh yeah, of course we knew that. They communicate differently. Oh, yeah. That was the other thing, too. It said they, they had known for decades. Right. Oh, yeah. We knew that for decades that autistic people could talk to each other. I'm like, really? Why didn't you share that with everybody right. then? They were too busy comparing it to neurotypicals. Right. And because so, that didn't match up, yeah. it was a problem. Yes. This, Jason, this blew my mind when I saw this. I mean, it just it opened my mind. I kept thinking about when our children were in school. I kept thinking about when I started as a para- in the education department, I thought about when I was a kid in school. And then I think about now all of the friends that you and I have. We've had friends who are our age who have now been diagnosed and are open about their diagnosis as well. And for them too, we thought, well, of course we're friends because, you know, you're autistic or you're ADHD or however your, your brain processes differently. And we recognize that in, in each other. And, and I, I think people find each other who yes, speak the same language, exactly. but they don't know why. Exactly. They just click with these people and it's like, yes. oh, and then you get up and look around, you're diagnosed, you're like, hold on, mm -hmm. this person's neurodivergent, this person's neurodivergent, yeah. this person's neurodivergent. I mean, I said it, you know, I met, you know, Jason and I met in high school. We met in 10th grade, correct? 10th grade. 10th grade, yeah. That's another story. But anyway, we met in 10th grade and, you know, we didn't date right off the way. We became friends first, but we... You were one of those friends that just got my sense of humor, and I got yours, mm. and we were just drawn to each other, and it really wasn't romantical. It wasn't very romantical at first. It was more, hey, I recognize your energy, and I recognize that I, I'd like to hang around right. your energy, you know? More of that, please. Yes, because I get <laughs> that, and I get you, and I felt like I was at home mm -hmm. when I was with you. Like, oh, like I don't feel like an alien from another planet, which I felt right. that way my entire life until just you know in the last two or three years right so it's fascinating it's fascinating it just opens up and it makes me think that you know this whole wave of information that's coming is so important and that's why opening these conversations is essential to changing the dialogue and changing the way that autistic individuals and neuro you know and neurodiverse individuals are treated right because people are, there are so many individuals who are so extraordinarily bright and have so much to say, but because they are being forced to view the world through this narrow, neurotypical lens, they aren't able 
to really show the gifts that they have. Right. It reminds me of, I think it was Albert Einstein, and this is wildly paraphrasing, but it was mm-hmm. something like, if you try to teach a fish how to be mm-hmm. a bird, yes. you know, the fish is going to fail miserably if right. you expect it to be do what birds do. Exactly. Yeah. So if any of you out there know exactly that quote or anything, you know, email us. Email us. By the way, you can email us at hello is this thing on the number two at gmail.com. So please, if you have an experience or if this story or anything that we talk about uh, on our show, please give us an email at hello is this thing on two at gmail.com. Yes. So it's important. Did you know? Wow. Feel smarter already. I do indeed. <laughs> well, coming up next, we're going to take a break and then we're going to wrap up this particular show. So stay tuned. Talk to you soon. And welcome back to Hello, Is This Thing On with April and Jason. Wow, this has been a really fun show. I know. I've had a blast. I know. A lot of good information, right. fun along the way. Oh, that reminds me. Yes. There is one more, did you know, okay. fact that I would like to share that might just blow your mind. Oh, really? Yeah. So hold on to something. Okay. okay you're okay. sitting down. I am right? sitting down. So we are good. For the listening audience, <laughs> she is sitting down. So, yes. did you know, you know, Fruit Loops, how oh. they have all the different colors? Oh, yes. Like, right, right. So it's supposed to be a lemon, right. cherry orange whatever yeah. right all the great we've seen the commercials yeah, right despite being different colors they're all the same flavor they are not it tastes the same they are not i know that's what i thought when i was younger i i could remember thinking oh well there's the lemon one and there's the cherry one and no so, they're all the same so does this mean tricks are all the same I don't know. This just opens up a whole can of worms as far as I'm concerned. So when we eat Skittles or Starburst, are, is that a real flavor or is it just all one big sugar flavor? That's too many questions. I don't know if we're ready for that. I don't know. We'll have to deep dive that later. Yeah. So anyway, sorry if I ruined anyone's <laughs> childhood just now. But. Well, I don't know if knowledge is power. I'm, I'm a little depressed now. So Right. Maybe this segment <laughs> should called, Do I Need to Know? Do I Need to Know? Yeah, because now I know that... There is residue and bacteria, bacteria. growing in our headphones, mm-hmm. and now I know that Fruit Loops all taste the same. Thank you, Jason. Do we really need to know? Do we really need to know? Maybe not. Maybe it's okay. You're right. welcome. Well, thank you. Before we go today, I wanted to share a little bit more about the Hickey app, H-I-K-I app, and you can go online on hickeyapp.com. I was curious because I wanted to see what it was all about, so I was reading their mission statement, Jason, and I think you might like this. Okay. So H-I-K-I, Hickey means... Able. It's it's a Hawaiian term. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it is a friendship and dating app. It says, this is from their mission statement, where neurodiversity is embraced and being atypical is celebrated. Wow. And the site was built with autistic adults in mind. Wow, that's incredible. I know. It's really neat. And so I did, because I'm a curious person. I went ahead and thought, well, I'll just sign up for it. You know, I'll just download the app and I'll look on it. And it's amazing, Jason, because it has like all these different sections. And uh, you, you put in your profile and you can say if you're looking for love, which I was not because I have you, my dear. Mm. Um, but I was looking for friendship. So I did click the friendship one. And there's all these different segments. Like you can uh, sign up for like art and science and 
LGBTQ and well, how perfect is that? I you mean, know, all these different areas. So Amazing. you appeal to the special interests. Exactly, you, right. s- you appeal to all the special interests, and so I sign up for a whole bunch of them because I was really interested. And then this was the best part. So I'm looking, I'm scrolling, and they have some of the best autism memes I've ever seen, too. I just want to say that because I was like, I'm stealing this one. It's hilarious. But also, I found there was a woman, she was looking to start a group. And it was for, and I quote, elder autistics. And elder autistics means, you know, those who have been late diagnosed, which is, you know, what you you and I have experienced. Mm -hmm. It was kind of interesting to see that. There's a group for elder autistics, and I wasn't even offended because I liked the word elder, mm-hmm. and maybe it had to do with, I don't know, Star Wars? I don't know. I was thinking elders, like the elders or right. maybe Lord of the Rings. I don't know. It has it has a gravitas to it. It does. Of indeed. wisdom and, yeah. <laughs> I am an elder autistic. Thank you. Oh, what, was the, what, what were those characters in The Dark Crystal? Skeksis? No, not Skeksis. Oh, those are the bad guys. Good Lord, not a Skeksis. No, not a Skeksis. What were they? They were the... Um, right. Um, they were like monks. Um, yeah. What were they called? I don't remember. Please, oh, anyone out there... Save me from Scratch my this brain. itch of ours. <laughs> was it the Mystics? I think they were called the Mystics. Maybe they were the Mystics. That's yes. all I can remember. Yes. <laughs> well, anyway, it made me feel like a Mystic. You need a robe. I need a nap, apparently. A robe, so. like a Jedi robe. <laughs> I do need a Jedi robe. That would go over with well a at hood, school, too. You know, oh, at, definitely. At the beginning of Phantom Menace, where exactly. they walk in and they pull it back. And then, the, so my students would know, ooh, this teacher means business. Yes. I'm going to learn a lot in her class. Either that or die by her lightsaber. Or, <laughs> or she's very, very weird. <laughs> but I still kind of like her. <laughs> all of the above. At least I hope. All right. <laughs> well, I guess that is all we have for today. It's been an amazing show. Thank you, Jason, for all of your research and your sharing what you know about yeah, ADHD certainly. and the history of that. Yeah, glad so to. It's really fun. And don't forget, if you enjoy what you hear, be sure to give us an email at hello is this thing on to at gmail.com. I guess that's all for now. All right. Till uh, next time. Till next time. We'll be talking about women and neurodiversity and how they go undiagnosed. Yes, that's an important conversation. Very important conversation. Can't wait. All right. Well, we'll see you then. Have a wonderful time. Until then. Bye. For listening to Hello Is This Thing On with your hosts, April Swinney Og and Jason Og. Our theme is Snappy, written by Jonathan Boyle. The information contained in our podcast, on our webpage, and on our social media pages is for entertainment purposes only. All views expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which we have been, are now, or will be affiliated. The information is not meant to diagnose or treat any mental health condition. If you are experiencing mental health symptoms, we encourage you to contact a mental health provider in your community. If you are experiencing a mental health emergency, please call 911 or go to the nearest emergency room. Join us next time as we continue to answer the question, what is neurodiversity? If you have any questions or would like to share your neurodivergent experience, just send us an email at hello is this thing on two at gmail.com. That's hello is this thing on two, the number two at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook or on Instagram at hello is this thing on podcast. Finally, if you like what you heard, be sure to share our podcast on social media and subscribe. Thanks again. 
See you next time.